Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Bienvenido a otro podcast de la Iglesia C29 Granada. Esperamos que te inspire y te haga reflexionar. Thank you everybody for being with us and our topic is God's economic revolution in the desert of Sinai. But before we get started, let's just say a prayer together and ask God's uh, guidance today. Heavenly Father, thank you once more for your word, the Bible that we have in our own in our own languages so that we can read it and understand it. Thank you for all of the many helps that we have these days for um, helping us to understand it. And we just pray that as we look at a number of passages today, that you would truly show us what you were trying to say to your people thousands of years ago, and then today as well, because we want to follow your way and let your way make a difference in our lives <clears throat> and in the lives of those round and about us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years before Rita-Lisa, my wife and I, came to uh, Granada, um, we led a group of students from the Harvard School of Public Health to Cuba. And this was to study their health system. In spite of the economic barricade um, that had been imposed by the United States, Cuba actually had a health system that supported a health, healthier population than that of the United States and at a considerably smaller cost. And so we were all interested in finding out how they managed to do that. And we were there for uh, almost three weeks. Obviously, while we were there, we learned a lot about the Cuban revolution and much more than just the health system. But one of the highlights uh, was visiting the mausoleum of Che Guevara, just outside the city of Santa Clara. After his death in Bolivia in 1967, Che became a cult hero for many people all over the world, particularly people in the developing countries. He was an inspiration to people suffering under oppressive governments and military dictatorships, of which there were quite a few towards the end of the, the last century. One of his biographers said of him, Shea still possesses an extraordinary relevance as a symbol of a time when people died heroically for what they believed in. I sometimes wonder if Shea had perhaps lived three and a half thousand years ago, whether there would have been posters with his portrait on the walls of the houses of some of the Hebrews in Egypt. 
The pharaohs in Egypt managed an economy of exploitation, both of their own people and especially the Hebrews. 400 years before that, Jacob, the Hebrew patriarch, had arrived in Egypt with his whole family because of the famine that was crushing that whole part of the Middle East. He arrived to discover that his own son, Joseph, was the first minister in the Egyptian government and was managing the supplies of grain for the whole country. As a result, the Hebrew people were allowed to to stay in Egypt, and they actually remained there for a long time. But at that time when they first arrived, over the course of about three years, almost everyone in Egypt had to sell up their land to the pharaoh in order to buy grain to eat. By the end of that famine, the people of Egypt were a population of tenant farmers. All the land belonged to the pharaoh. Years later, when the Hebrew population had grown, pharaoh and his court became frightened of the possible growing political power of the Hebrews. And to control this, they forced them into slavery and even started to kill their newborn boys to control the the, the population size. But because these Hebrews were God's people, God chose a man called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and bring them to the land that Jacob had left, the land God had promised to Abraham, the father of the nation. And he said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Berizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Well, God, as we all know, was as good as his word and got the people of Israel out of Egypt. He made it possible for them to escape through the Red Sea between the walls of water and then allowed the water to return and drown the whole of the army of Pharaoh. Six weeks later, they were getting closer to Mount Sinai. They camped in a place called the Desert of Sin or the Desert of the Moon. They were hungry, thirsty, tired, and I suspect probably a bit bored. All the supplies that they had been able to bring with them coming out of Egypt had run out. They were in an increasingly rebellious mood and Moses and his, uh, against Moses and his brother Aaron. And they said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we at least sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted? How quickly they had forgotten just how difficult it really was in Egypt. 
they had deceived themselves because of their bitterness and anger. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. This is, I'm reading from Exodus chapter 16 at this point. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, the thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer. It's about two, two kilos for two liters for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some less. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until the morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. and When the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you need to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. I wonder if you remember what were the first recorded words of Jesus after his baptism. Jesus was in the desert and had eaten nothing for 40 days. He was very hungry 
And Satan had just suggested to Jesus that he should change some of the stones into bread. But Jesus' reply was, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That, you may remember, was a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is a passage that we we studied um, a couple of weeks or so ago, where God, this is, this is just before the, the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, just before Moses finally dies. And Moses reports to the children of Israel God's words, saying, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known. And that was to teach you, that was to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Quite honestly, for years, I think I've read those words that Jesus quoted and have found them rather overwhelming. Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord is very clear. Every word means every word. Of course, there's no reason why we should neglect any of them, particularly if we want to please God. But honestly, where do we start? Which ones are the most important? And if you're anything like me, um, because we all have to deal with our own senses of shame, we tend to start with our character flaws and our worst habits. But you know, this is actually one of the best examples of the importance of looking up the passage in the Bible from which quotes are taken. Jesus quoted these words from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And what God is saying in that passage He's referring back to Exodus 16, where we've just read the story of God providing manna for his people. And when we begin to read that carefully, we discover that God didn't just provide the manna and leave the Israelites to get on with it. No, he gave them very special instructions. Moses says to the people a couple of times, this is what the Lord commanded. This is what the Lord commanded. And when some of the people keep some of the manna overnight and found it stinking and full of maggots the following morning, Moses got very angry. But when the people broke the Sabbath, it was God who got angry. And he said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? He's saying this to Moses. I dare say Moses had actually kept the ones, but Moses was the representative of the people. And he says, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? In fact, later we discover 
that somebody who had broken the Sabbath was killed as a punishment. God was so serious about the Sabbath. I want to suggest to you that while every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord does mean every word, the words that God, that we should start with, are the words that have to do with the way that God provides for our daily bread and our other needs. The words that we should start off with are the ones that have to do with the ways in which God provides for our daily needs. Let's go back to that story of Jesus in the desert for a moment. What was the the relevance of his answer to the temptation to change the stones to bread? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The usual interpretation of those words is that there is much more to life than just food, and that full satisfaction in life is found in God's truth and obeying God's commands. That's certainly true. But I'm not sure that it actually directly connects with the story in Exodus or God's explanation in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember, God's provision of the manna came before they reached Mount Sinai, before they had received God's law. What made God angry at that time was that the people didn't pay attention to the simple instructions that he had given them about the manna. They did what seemed sensible to them, but God was trying to teach them that even when he is providing for their need, they have to follow his commands. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think it was probably the same issue for Jesus being tempted to make bread from stones when he was hungry. Let me try and paraphrase what was said in the desert just to see whether that helps. Satan says to this hungry Jesus, Do you remember how you and your heavenly father did that amazing miracle to give manna to the Israelites in the desert? Well, why don't you do the same sort of thing here and change these stones into bread? Jesus thinks about that for a moment because he really is hungry. Then he replies to Satan, I agree, food is important, and I need it now. But you have to get it in the right way. Changing stones to bread is not God's right way at this point and at this moment. We actually don't know when Jesus broke his fast. Was it the next day or a week later? We really don't know. And we don't know where it was. And we don't know what the circumstances were. We don't know what he had to eat. I don't think it matters. 
what mattered was that on that particular day when when Satan says, why don't you look after yourself and change these stones into bread? Jesus said, no, that's not the way that my heavenly father wants me to do it. So God in the desert, before they got to Sinai, was very clear and specific about how and when the Israelites were to collect the manna. And what would happen if they didn't follow his instructions? And we can also see in the story the main principles that seem to have governed the way that God showed his love for his people by providing this food, even when they were so wretched and fed up and complaining. Firstly, God provided enough to meet their needs. No more, no less. And however much each person collected, they all ended up with enough, with the right amount. Thirdly, trying to save up more than was just necessary was a mistake. It went bad. And fourthly, it was so important to the Lord that the people keep the Sabbath that he always provided enough for two days on the sixth morning, and the extra didn't go bad. In the next two or three studies, I'm hoping that we're going to look at many more of the commandments that God gave to his people about how they should provide for their needs in the promised land, their needs and the needs of the other people in their community. And we'll see how it is these same principles of God's provision of the manna that are the basis of the economy that God had decided, designed for them in the promised land. And I'm hoping that in turn, it will help us to think more carefully about how every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord can help us to live our own 21st century lives in ways that are pleasing to him. However. Before we move on with the Israelites to Mount Sinai, let's quickly remind ourselves of the completely different economic experience that the Israelites had with the Lord in the desert compared with the experience they had in Egypt. In Egypt, they'd been slaves. There, they were commodities to be used by the Pharaoh and his aristocratic families for their purposes and their glory. It was an economy of exploitation on behalf of the rich and powerful. And the Israelites were here in the desert because they were the people of God. He had chosen them. He had rescued them from Egypt because he loved them. He had shared their pain and suffering. And he now provided food and water to meet their needs and would continue to do so for 40 years until he led them at last into the land he had promised to them. What he expected from them was that they would obey his commands and that they would care for each other in the same way he was caring for them. I think we all remember the conversation that led to Jesus 
telling the story of the Good Samaritan that we read about in, in Luke's Gospel. Luke says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And the teacher said, uh, the the lawyer said, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The first use of the word neighbor in the Bible is in the Ten Commandments. It comes up in the Ninth Commandment, which says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then the the tenth, the next one says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We live in a culture that constantly reminds us to claim and defend our rights, to seek our own fulfillment and wants us to keep up with the material things that everybody else has. The neighbor is both a reality and a concept that sets boundaries to what we can, what, what we can take. The neighbor, our neighbor, is both a reality and a concept that sets boundaries to what we can take. Today, the neighbor is usually treated as a very second-class citizen. Note that I said what we can take, not just what we want. Coveting means more than just being envious and jealous. It means to take. If you think about it, every other one of the Ten Commandments is about doing something. Coveting also means the action of taking. I emphasize that because I think, I think we're often mistaken into thinking that, you know, being envious or being jealous by itself is coveting. It may not be the most pleasant or, or nice thing, but actually coveting something means to take it. The other thing is, of course, that wanting the good things of life is not wrong. What's wrong is taking things that belong to somebody else. One of the, well, I was going to say one of, in fact, the first example of this was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after Satan's temptation. And we read, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Something that was good for food and pleasing to the eye was actually perfectly all right. 
there were lots of other things in the garden at that time that were good for food and looked really good and beautiful. On this occasion, what belonged to somebody else was the so-called wisdom of the knowledge of good and evil. That belonged to God. That was what they coveted. And that was the line that they crossed. Ten Commandments are all about relationships with God and with our neighbours. That's why the Great Commandment summarises them in the way it does. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength and all of your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. Just before God gave Moses those Ten Commandments, he introduces himself, as it were. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And in this way, God declares himself as the one who is greater than the gods of Egypt. He then goes on to declare his Ten Commandments as a way of life that replaces the culture and the economy of coveting and exploitation in Egypt. The Lord is a God of love. And he wants to set up a culture and an economy of neighborliness. This economy of neighborliness was demonstrated in the provision of the manna. It shows that God is the one who ultimately supplies all our needs and that that is something that we need to constantly remember. Secondly, there will always be enough, but it must be shared. Thirdly, the Sabbath teaches some people that they can trust God and not do not need to be anxious about whether there will be food for tomorrow. And it stops other people so that they don't spend their whole lives trying to get or achieve more. Finally, to receive God's good things, we need to receive them in the way in which he says we must. So we've, we've covered um, a number of things today. We've talked about God's provision of manna in the desert and the principles of that provision. Just talked about those. We've talked about Jesus and his temptation. And I hope I'm right in saying that maybe that, that also emphasizes the importance of obeying God in the way in which we provide for our needs following Jesus. We obey God in the way in which we provide for our needs. Thirdly, the concept of neighbor defines the boundaries of our own desires not to covet others' property. And it also defines the one that we should love like we love ourselves. And lastly, we've talked about the contrast with the culture and economy of covetousness and exploitation in Egypt.
So we, we have a little while left, and Esther, let's, let's open it up to everybody at this stage. And to, to start off with, I'm, I'm just wondering whether there are any comments or questions that anybody has about what I've talked about today. Um, I've maybe talked about things slightly differently from what we usually do. It's becoming a habit. Um, but if there are comments or questions, uh, let's hear those. Um, and then, uh, if not, I, I, I have a, I have a question that I'd like to put to everyone. So, first of all, let's see if there are some comments or some questions about what we've covered today. Thanks, Esther. Well, I think it's perfect to talk about this topic in this moment because these uh, these fasts are like uh, the the days in Sinai kind of i i feel it like we were praying god uh, give us freedom we want to go we want to go out we want to go out and suddenly uh, we are free again but it's a different reality and uh, we have to trust in another way it's not easy also and maybe we can uh, we can compl- it's so easy to complain i was thinking the other day i don't remember what exactly but it's so easy to complain like oh what, but at least when we were in quarantine we were safer or when we were in quarantine blah 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 like when we were in egypt you see and um it's so easy to complain but it's uh, and it's so hard to to adapt to the new situations mm-hmm. and to trust. How true, Marila. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, in, in some ways, yes, as you say, being in lockdown, it's like being in the desert. And um, in a way, it's not so much remembering what things were like in quarantine. It's remembering what things were like before the quarantine. And, and not all of those were exactly perfect. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're living in, in a country that still has, but that had at that stage, um, a very high unemployment rate or partial employment rate. There were, there were lots of things that were difficult, but here we are in, in, in the, in the lockdown for the pandemic and things seem so much worse. And, um, what do, what do we, what do we learn from from that story about God's response. Thank you for that, Marila. What, what, how do others react to that, that idea? Is that something that others experience or can sympathize with? Well, I agree with Marila, and I think that, the, as you were saying, the, de- the desert was uh, necessary to show what was in our hearts and because we are useful to do things in our way and i think that with this time that we we have been with god here in our caves i mean with our you know in our secret places and everything and 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 for example for me it has been like he has shown me my old ways to do things you know that uh, maybe I, I was trusting in my own abilities 
And when, he, when, when you were saying, trust God and don't be anxious about food of tomorrow, it's like, well, okay, right now it doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. I mean, you know that I'm studying here, so I don't have, I don't have any job. So literally, uh, it's living by faith. Yeah, it's like, um, okay, I don't know what I'm going to eat in two months, but, but you know what, you're going to give me what I need. Um, so I really like when you were saying that it's like uh, removing the old ways of doing things, removing my ways, and just try to do things in God's ways and trusting him. And, and just uh, if he says that he's going to give me food for two days, I have to trust him. I, I, I don't have to keep food for more days because it's going to be bad. It's going to get bad, but uh, it's difficult, as Marilla was saying, because we are uh, used to do it in our ways. And, okay, so I, I could be just working. I could be just coming back to my country in Colombia and, and trying to find a job. But God is telling me, no, wait, wait a minute. And I'm going to give you what you need. So, mm-hmm. wow, this, this has been very... Uh, I mean, okay, I'm going to stop talking or maybe I'm going to cry in this moment. Okay, but listen, I think all of us in some way or another can, can relate to this, can't we? Yes. Let, let, let's hear from some others on this. I, I think this is important that we can all share this and share this testimony together. Let's hear from some others. Well, I, I'm just having, um, you know, a conversation with uh, a young person that I'm very close to it, uh, who's just starting this um, life on so-called his own, you know, an adult life, and we're all adults, but how can we use, I'm thinking, how can we use our experiences of the past uh, and even this situation to better guide those who are just kind of looking at a future that they don't see anything um, and even they don't have the, the 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 desert experiences. They might not have the the, the experience of uh, being in in slavery, you know. And we can process that and look back. But there are so many uh, people there, young people, and that they they will probably be looking what's going to be it uh, from us and. As I'm looking here, and I was just talking, is what you said. God said, it, and when He provided, He basically communicated that there will always be enough. So don't worry. <laughs> so they saw, He showed them that there would always be enough that He would provide. He told them, "Well, share as well with your neighbors or with others, and think of." others and then do not get more than you needed and we we struggle with that how much i i really need you know um and our society is on the it teaches us you need more like if we the western society usually the bigger the better the more the the merrier and and so forth. We're like we grow up and we hear this all the time and then that's how we leave. They teach us how to leave like that. And we do. And we don't know when it's more than enough. And we get to the point where there's never enough. 
and then that leads us to worry and not rest. So we always running and trying to get more, try to get uh, and keep something that we will have enough. When we do that, it's very easy to not trust God. Yeah. And we trust on our own capacity of gathering, of building, of surviving. And, and, and that's hard when we don't trust him. And now situations like this, everything is taken away. And then where do you go? Yeah. Yeah. You can't trust your job. You don't have it. You can trust your savings. You might have lost it. And go back to crying again, like you just said. Cry out to God saying, you know, here I am. Good. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you very much. Somebody else? I was I was thinking um when you when you have mm, more than you need I mean what is the line like what you need and more than you need and I was just trying to define that line for, because for me the line will be like far away and you may for you can be like two miles away and but at the same time I was thinking on when I have it's easy to give, but what I, what can I give? What I have, or what I, or the things that I really don't need. When I give, what I, what I give to the people, the rest, the the things that I don't really need, or the things that okay, that's that's what I have. It's not that much. Maybe this is my lunch for today, and I have to give the half because the other person didn't have anything at all. For me, that is really giving. But when you give something that you don't really want, is there in your in your in between things that you don't need? Like okay, that that I will never eat that. I don't like it. But I'm a good person because I'm giving this. Hmm. I'm a really good person because I'm a giver. Because I really don't have, doesn't have that much money in my in my account. I don't have a really good car. Look at that. Have a better car than I have. Look at those. They have. They are owner. They have their own house. I don't have because I am a good person. I'm giving this. They really don't want it. What is the line? Because when we have we we have more than we need, uh, when we we give something, our our hearts is more tending to give something that we don't want to, we don't need to. When we, we when we have to give something that we really care, huh? <laughs> I don't want it. Well, I had to give that. It's mine. And I remember that to, to the Lord of the Ring, this, and I always remember that, like, my pressure. This is my treasure. And it's like a joke, but this is a reality. When that happened, when something that you have, and it's like, no, 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 this is mine, my treasure, whatever it is. Food, money, clothes, house, a random thing. I think that's the problem when we treasure in things. And it doesn't mean that you don't need that or you don't deserve that. It's where you put your heart. It is a treasure and it's not that God. And you can trust that if you are giving that, God is going to take care of you and that things that you're giving away. Because when you give things away, God is taking care of you, but he's taking care of the people that you are giving. 
and the thing you are taking to give into a person, that thing, God is taking care of that thing. So he is, he is taking care of that. He is loving that thing too. Super. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. That's, that's, that's a helpful thought. Did, does anybody else want to, to add to this? It, it's, it's a, this is, this is a very important practical issue. Um, and it, it's actually one that I'd like us to explore um, a little bit more in some really practical terms in maybe three or four weeks time. Um, because it's, it's, it's a, it's a question that we all stumble up against. Um, and it's difficult. And a question, for example, what when you don't enjoy the mana anymore? Like, uh, you are used to have a big steak and then mana, and I was like, oh, of course, if you don't have mana, or if you are starving, right? And I see that Lola is laughing because she doesn't eat steaks. But okay, imagine a broccoli. But... Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Sorry. But uh, sometimes we are used to more things that we have, then we see that we can survive with just mana. And we actually appreciate the mana when we were starving. But at the same time, you think like, whoa, I had good steaks, I had good food. I don't know. And it's uh, kind of stopping to be not like the first or I don't know if it's the first love or where you are already enjoying small things of God. I mean, when you have tried other things or other blessings and you have like, maybe it sounds rude, but maybe you have, you are exploring now the basic blessings that are not few, but uh, it's, I, I feel like it's wrong. We have the basic, it's enough, but I don't know. Let me sum that up. You don't appreciate what you have and you Sorry? miss what you do not appreciate what you currently have and you miss the things that you do not have. Whether in fact in the past they really were your favorite, but right now I can't have it. So it must have been really wonderful. And my memory is really wonderful. I'm really not a steak person, but right now when I cannot have steak, I really would like a big steak. And I don't appreciate what I currently have. I think, I think that's the problem many of us have. I think we're, uh, we're, we're rapidly identifying a number of really practical issues, which I think the children of Israel in the desert met up with. Yes, they, they were complaining about all of the, the meat and the good food that they were missing in, in Egypt. Hadn't been so good. But then God provides them not with, 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 with steak. He actually provides them with quails. Um, I think that's considered a delicacy these days, isn't it? <laughs> and, and then there was the manna. Um, but yes, they, even then, they, they, they got bored with that. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a great temptation that, that we sometimes do. We're going to need to um, explore some of these things further. But we need to stop uh, in a moment. And, and I, I want us to go back to that, 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 that first point that Marila reminded us of, and that is that 
in some ways the experience of the Israelites in in the desert in the wilderness it's a little bit like our experience in in this pandemic lockdown and it's very easy to to look back um, to how things were or what we think we remember them being like before and and get envious of of how things were but as as adriana reminds us actually we are i think all of us in different ways and to different extents realizing that okay life is tough um, and we can't see into the future but god is providing we haven't been in need he has met our need um, we may not be flourishing and have lots of things um, like we might want to but we're not actually in need and uh, again just picking up a little bit on carlos's point i i was just thinking as he was talking that it wasn't very many weeks later after all that had happened at mount sinai that moses followed god's leading to the border um of the promised land at kadesh barnea and the there were the 12 spies that were sent into the land to find out what was going on one from each of the tribes and they came back and they said this is a marvelous place it's absolutely fabulous but boys those those people there they're big and they're fierce and they're horrid there's no way we could we could take over this land and it was it was two men it was Joshua and Caleb who were the only two who said hang on guys just remember god let brought us all out of egypt he broke us free from the slavery that we were in at that time and he's provided for us the whole of these 40 years we've we've had all the food that we've we've needed our clothes haven't worn out our shoes haven't worn out god's met our need of course we can do it and at some point i think in in the next few weeks or very few months there's going to be a point i think for all of us where we shall reach our own personal kadesh barnea where god says okay here's the opportunity that i want you to take just remember how i've brought you so far through all of the difficulties of this time in in the pandemic and it's all very different from how it was before beforehand trust me this is your opportunity are you going to are you going to go and i think as i say all of us in different ways are going to have our own personal kadesh barnea and god is going to say trust me will you you put out his hand to offer his hand for us to take and allow him to lead us into that new opportunity so thank you for all of those contributions that was really terrific but Ian, again can i just inter Ian, can i just interrupt quickly, very briefly very quickly 
because I don't think you noticed that there was a comment from Angie when we were talking about the the wanting the gifts and 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 but only some of them. If you look at the comments, Angie says, "Oh, I had to see that." Sorry. Wanted the gifts for that the giver. Yeah, I, I thought it's not easy for you to talk and see that, so I just wanted to put, bring that to your attention. Sorry, just read that for me again. Angie, do you want to? Uh, do you sure. want to say that, Beverly? Sure. It was just a comment that I think sometimes it goes back to wanting the gifts more than wanting the giver. Oh. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. How true. How true. Thank you for making that point, Angie. Okay, we're going to. I'm going to say a, a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, that that last point of Andrew's is so important because particularly at times like this when things are tough and we don't have maybe all of the things that we thought we used to have um, and we would dearly like to have more, we do get obsessed with the things that we need, the things that we want. And we actually so easily forget that you are the giver and you are the one who are meeting our need. You are the one who are promising to continue to meet that need and to take us into whatever the new opportunities there may be on the other side of this pandemic and lockdown. So, Father, forgive us for our lack of trust. Forgive us for our obsession with the things rather than for you. And we pray that you will forgive us and, and continue to, to love us and to help us to, to love you with all of our heart and mind and strength and to love each other, our neighbors as ourselves. For Jesus sake. Amen. Gracias por escucharnos. Te invitamos a visitar nuestra web c29granada.es y a conectar con nosotros en nuestras redes sociales arroba c29granada.